Welcome to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast, a deep dive into biblical leadership with pastor and author, Dr. Gerald Brooks. Hi, this is Pastor Gerald Brooks. I want to take a minute and introduce the podcast you're about to listen to. At the recent North Texas Leadership Conference, Jesse Prince, my executive pastor, spoke on adopting the vision. It was a tremendous lesson. Let me give you a little bit of background. Jesse has two kids that are adopted. What he does is he goes through how adoption affects the vision. And what I want to say is this. How many times have you had someone join your staff and they never fit? They never become a part of the team. It's simply because they don't know how to adopt the vision, what God has spoken to you as a leader and an organization. Jesse walks through the nuances of personal adoption and shows how it works with vision and what every individual on a team must do if they are going to walk into an organization and fit. It's a powerful lesson. I know you're going to enjoy it. Take a few minutes and listen. Amen. Um, Several years ago, I was in a youth camp retreat thing, and I was sitting out in the service, and I was sitting in the back of the room with my arms crossed, just kind of listening to what's going on, and I can't tell you what was said that day, but what I can tell you is that day, God was speaking to my heart. You see, while there was somebody up here speaking, I was a young man in the back wrestling with whether or not I was going to respond to the call of God in my life. And I remember as we got down to the end of it and they gave an altar call and I don't remember what the altar call was for. I just knew that I needed to respond to God. And so I walked forward to the front of the room and, and, I, and I surrendered my, not my heart, I was saved. I surrendered my life and I said, God, I'm going to respond to the call that you had on my life. Now, just like you, I had no idea what that meant. I knew I was called to ministry I knew that there were Bible schools that I could go to. I knew that there were people that did ministry, but I had no idea. It's sort of like saying, I'm ready for marriage. You know what I'm saying? Now, you're excited to get married, you ain't ready for marriage. There's one way to learn how to be good at being married, and it is to get married. You understand? And so I began that journey. Fast forward several years later, I've I entered into the call that God had on me and began to grow in that way. I found my wonderful wife, and I was sitting on the couch, and I was watching TV, and I was flipping back and forth, probably between Sports Center and the news. And on the news, um, there was a, a, a tragic event that had happened in Haiti. Some of you remember the earthquake. And I kept going back to the news, and I couldn't quite shake what was happening. And there was something that God, and I felt, it felt very much like I was sitting in the back of the room with my arms crossed and somehow God was speaking to me and asking me if I would respond to what he was asking me to do. And so I kept literally leaving the room and I would go get a snack and I would, you know, and I would try to walk through our house. And every time I'd walk through our house, I'd realize that there was two rooms that were empty. And I kept coming back and I kept seeing images of kids that had been displaced and kids that didn't have a home. And God began to work on my heart and This is something my wife had already started working on, but God had to work a little deeper. That our journey through building my family would happen through adoption, that we were were to adopt. And so we made a decision that we're going to jump in and we're going to adopt and we're going to pursue what God has for us. And, And can I tell you, similar to being called, similar to being married, when you decide to be parent, nobody's ever ready to be a parent. You have no idea what you're getting into. 
It's always a little bit different than what the books tell you. It's always a little bit more challenging. It's a whole lot more expensive than anybody said. I don't know, I don't know where they get their numbers from, um, but, but it's a whole lot more expensive. It comes with a price tag. And as I was venturing through some things with our staff and venturing through some things with um, some of your staffs that we've talked to at previous NTLCs, I began to realize that there was a correlation between the call that God placed on me in ministry and adoption as it pertains to our leadership and our journey together as a staff and as a team. And so what I want to do with you for just the next few minutes is I want to unfold maybe just a few principles that will help you learn how to take the vision that God has placed in you as a senior pastor and transition some of those things down to your team. And if you are part of a team, my goal is to help you learn how to adopt the, vi adopt the vision of the church that God has placed you in. So I wanna spend just the next few minutes walking you through a journey that I've had the privilege to walk through on a very personal level. You see, here's what I've learned. Many people are good at dating a vision. This is what I've learned. You see, when you launch into the journey of, of marriage, what happens in our society today is people are looking for chemistry. That's what they're looking for. Do I have a chemistry with this person? You can go and you can sign up for Christian dating. You can go and sign up for farmers only dating. You know, I mean, there's all these different things. And what they're saying is we want to find some kind of chemistry that you can build on. We want to find this chemistry that you can go with. And can I tell you, there's nothing wrong with chemistry, but great marriages are not built on good chemistry. They're built on great commitment. And just like great marriages are not built on great chemistry, neither are great churches. Your church staff isn't going to be great because the chemistry is just so outstanding. Because what I'll tell you is there will be events that unfold within your church that cause the chemistry of your church to change. And what happens is, is when that changes and the good feeling is all gone, your staff looks around and goes, wow, God must not want me here anymore because it doesn't feel the same. You see, what happens is we have built our, our relationship dating the vision that God placed in somebody else. It's okay for me to jump from here and it's okay for me to jump from here. Now, the dilemma with that is this. Ministry requires, healthy ministry, good ministry, and strong ministry requires that we give our heart. It requires that we give our heart. Now the difference, the big difference between me dating my wife and marrying my wife is when I stood up here on this very stage and I said, I do, I gave her my heart. I said, my heart belongs to you and no one else. This is until death do us part. I, 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 I submitted my heart to her. You see, the deal with ministry is it requires your heart. I love, I, I love going back and, and reading how uh, mentors and mentees in interacted within scripture and you know how Paul talked to Timothy, Elijah, and Elisha and it, it always makes me laugh. It always makes me laugh because I remember hearing these stories early on and they were always these really positive uplifting stories. God has a hope and a future for you. God has a big call on your life. But then you read this and Paul tells Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a, from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. Paul looks at Timothy and says, Timothy, you've got to get your heart right. You've got to have your heart in the right place because here, here's what's going to happen. Like, you don't even know this. But, but here's what's going to happen. Timothy, your heart needs to be big because here in just a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to act older than you are. 
I'm going to tell you to go to the women's ministry and tell them to be quiet. Now, I don't know if you, I, listen, this is real church. I don't know many senior pastors that are bold enough to go and tell the women's ministry to be quiet. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy. And then he says, by the way, I'm going to give you some things. I need you to go instruct the rich. You know, the, the people that, that, that Randy was up here talking about, that they've got it all together. They don't need, you're younger than them. You're less successful than them, but I'm going to need you to go tell them what to do. So here's what Paul's saying. Your heart better be right, dude. <laughs> because it's not going to be easy. There's going to be some very challenging things. I'll tell you a quick story. I remember I was early here in the, in the ministry in the church, and there was a woman who was acting um, different than how we would respond in our service, and she became the center of attention during our worship service. And our, our basic principle is we never allow any one person to be the center of worship. That's for God and God alone. And so she was distracting from that, and I was new here. I was just an intern, and I'm sitting down here on the front row, and Pastor Brooks calls me over and says, I need you to go escort that lady out. I've, I was more nervous doing that than I was getting up here on the stage today because it was just awkward. It was uncomfortable. It was weird. There was something about it that didn't feel right. And can I just tell you this? If I had not given my heart to the place that God called me, I wouldn't be at the place that God called me. If I was just dating the vision of where God called me, I would have walked out with this lady and kept going. You understand what I'm saying? That would have been the end of it. See, ministry requires our heart. You can't do this well without your heart being given. Somebody says, well, what if my heart gets hurt? That's a risk that you take. Your heart is in the hands of the king. <laughs> you, you have to entrust him with your heart. Well, what if I give my heart and, and I have buyer's remorse? Welcome to life. This is just the reality of where we live. We live in an imperfect world. And so ministry requires that you give your heart. And here's what I would say to you if you're a part of a staff. Before you come in offering a church your gift or your talent, offer that church your heart. Before you come in and you offer your gift or your talent, offer that church your heart. People will come in and, I'm called to youth ministry. I'm called to be a youth pastor. Well, that's great because if you're on staff at Grace Outreach Center, you are a youth pastor. If a teenager walks by and you don't treat them like you're the youth pastor, we're going to have a problem. You understand, what I'm looking for is, is your heart invested. Is your heart engaged? Have you offered your heart Listen, I, your calling is great. We hired you because we believe that you're called. Nothing wrong with that. But the, your great ministry is not going to be built because you were called. That's where we all start. It's going to be built because you were committed. Because you were committed. See, people get into ministry because of the calling. They get good at ministry because of a commitment. It was Elijah and Elisha. Elisha went to Elijah and said, hey, I want you to come and follow me. And then Elijah said, and then Elisha came back and went, I, I don't know what I've done. This is, we're missing the mark here. And then what did Elijah do? It's a room full of pastors. What did Elijah do? He went back and burned the plow. And he said, there is no going back. You know, one of the most common things that I hear amongst, the, let me just talk to the staff, honestly, for just a minute. 
Well, at, at this church, we used to do this. Well, at this church, we used to do that. Well, I think we got to do this, and I think we got to do that. Can I tell you something? What if I sat down with my wife for a few minutes, and I said, well, see, my last girlfriend. <laughs> Can I tell you what happens when you come on a, on a church staff and start telling us about all the great ideas about your last church? Listen, before you give your heart, the rest of it is somewhat irrelevant. Before we know you're committed, the rest of it becomes a challenge. It doesn't mean that you're not talented. It doesn't mean that you're not gifted. It doesn't mean that you're not called. All of those things are absolutely true. But here's, here's what the church needs. Are you willing to give your heart? Because I'm willing to put up with the failure of somebody who cares. I'm willing to walk along somebody who's tripping over their own feet if I believe their heart is engaged and they have the best interest of the church at mind. I'm willing to take those steps, and, and pastor's been willing to take those steps with me, but it's because we're invested. There's something more to it. You've got to give your heart. You see, the question really becomes this. Are you going with them on their journey? Are you going with them on their journey? Because here's, what, here's the question that every young person wants to, come, wants to know. Where are we going? You know what's more important? That we're going somewhere together. So just get on the bus and follow me, and we're going to make this thing happen together. Everyone wants to know, what is our vision statement? What is, what is our core values? All those things are important. I'm not, I, all of those things are extremely important. But before you go there, before you go there, make a decision that we're going together. That's the most important decision that you make. I'm going with you. That's what's most important. You know, used to, when I, when I first got called in the ministry, I... I, I saw this trend within the body of Christ. I saw this trend, and here was the trend. I believe that God has called me to help Pastor Gerald. That's what, that's what people would say. The majority of our staff at that time had been here 15, 20 years. Now what I hear people say is, God has called me to youth ministry. God has called me to young adults ministry. God has called me to this. It's no longer that we're called to the leader, it's that we're called to a position. And what happens is it creates this divide because when I believe I'm called to a position, I give my heart to the position, not to the vision that God has placed inside the leader. So the question for staff is this, can you love the dream that God birthed in someone else as your own? Can you love the dream that God has birthed in someone else as your own? See, I still remember the day I got the very first picture. You guys can go ahead and put that up there. I still remember the day that I got the first picture. We were actually getting ready to go into a leadership uh, conference similar to this for another church, and I received this picture right here. This is my first son. I knew as soon as I saw that, that that was my son. There is no question. If you see me and him together, you will have no question whose son that is. He is my son. He is 100% my son. He's not partially my son. He's not, he's not my plan B. He is the plan A that God gave me and my wife. That is my son. I remember, I still remember the very first day that we got to meet him, and there's another picture I want to show you. This is the very first time that we got to meet Ezekiel. We're, st we're standing in the foyer in the Congo, I want you to notice the apple he's holding. That apple he held on to for two days. 
He held on to that apple for two days because can I tell you, when we first got our son, he, he was malnourished, he was underweight. Um, his legs from top to bottom were no bigger around than my two fingers put together. His knee was the biggest part of his leg coming all the way up. And so you know why he held on to that apple? Because he believed that that might be the only apple he gets for the next few days. And if you've ever set an apple that's been eaten on out on the counter for any period of time, you understand what that apple begins to look like. And so for two days, I had to convince him, son, there's more food for you. You don't have to worry about this apple. There's more for you. Can I, can I tell you something? If you're willing to put your heart fully in and invest and take ownership, God will make you more fruitful than you ever imagined. You can let go of the fruit that you have right now. It's okay. It's okay. God's going to give you more. He's going to give you more. So let me give you a few rules for adoption. Let me just give you some groundwork, groundwork for adoption, and this will apply to you if you are looking to adopt, but hopefully it'll apply to you in your leadership journey. You never adopt to fill a personal need. You never adopt to fill a personal need. All of you have people in your church that have said, oh, well, we're having marriage struggles, so we're going to have a kid. That's a great idea. You can't handle your current responsibility, so why don't you add another responsibility to it? That's a fantastic idea. You understand, you never adopt to fill a personal need. Can I tell you something? When you accept a position at a church, you are not there to fill a personal need. You are not there to fill a personal need. Either God fulfills you or you will never be fulfilled. That's it. It is not the responsibility of the senior pastor. It is not a responsibility of the pastor of the church before you. It is not the responsibility of the church congregation. You are not there to fill a personal need. Number two, you adopt for the sake of the child, and that is it. You adopt for the sake of the child, that is it. There is one thing that drives you, drives you toward adoption, and that is love. And if you can't love where you are, then that's a problem with you. Because can I tell you this? Your kids aren't perfect. My kids aren't perfect. They act up, they do crazy things, silly things happen. Can I just tell you, your church isn't perfect. Your congregation's not perfect. They act up, they do silly things. I've never been around a staff that was perfect that didn't act up and do silly things. But you adopt for the sake of the child and that's it. You do it because you've made a decision that I'm going to love this child. Jeannie did such a great job, and, and Pastor Brooks nailed it on the head. You know the one thing that stood out amongst all of that? Is we all know that there's crazy generations out there. All generations have their level of crazy. We've heard the stories, but you know the one thing we all took away? She cares about that generation. She's in it for the sake of that generation. You never do this for any other reason than for the sake of the child. Adoption is about loving the kid. It's not about the kid loving you. It's about loving the kid. It's not about the kid loving you. And adoption comes with a price tag. Adoption comes with a price tag. It's going to cost more money than we ever, listen, it costs more money than we ever realized. I might not have responded to God on the front end had I know how much it costs on the back end. There's a reason he keeps details from us. It's going to take longer than you think. It's going to take longer than you think. Can I tell you the reason I got emotional 
sitting up here this morning is because for me, 18 years is half my life. And all of a sudden I went from sitting back there taking notes that I still have to standing up here sharing with you all. Can I tell you, it always takes longer than you think. If you're hung up on the clock, you're just going to be hung up. You're just going to be hung up. It's going to take longer than you think. It's, it's just the way the process works. For, from the time we started the adoption until we went and got our son, it was a little over two years. Can I tell you this? When I decided I wanted to adopt and I saw the images that were on the TV, there's kids that are in need of a home right now. I want it now. If God called me to adopt, I'm going to get a kid right now. Unfortunately, that's, there's laws against that. They, you know, they, there's things you can't do. So, so I had to wait. And what I will tell you is the price tag will come with a great deal of emotion. You will spend more emotion than you ever imagined. In order for adoption to be uh, successful, psychologists and sociologists have this term. It's called attachment. Attachment. You have to build attachment. Now, this is true with biological children as well. A lot of times the postpartum depression and those kind of things come because there's a lack of attachment between the child and the parent. When you adopt a child and you go and pursue through adoption, you have to work at building this thing called attachment. Attachment is what makes the adoption successful. If you can attach to the child and the child can attach to you, then what you know is that you can effectively parent the child so that he grows in the things that God has for him or for her. Now, I will tell you, if you can effectively attach yourself to the church that God has placed you at, within the organization that God has placed you in, if you can grow an attachment, you can work at building something great together. You can work at going somewhere that is significant. Now, things that build attachment naturally are like skin-to-skin contact, meaning that I'm going to take my shirt off and the child will have their shirt off and I'm just going to hold them in their skin-to-skin contact. Don't do that in the church. That's weird. Okay? Just want to clarify some things. Um, when, when you rock a child, when you rock a child, that builds attachment. When you feed a child, when, when you give them food and, and you're actually physically feeding them the food, those things help build attachment. There's some very practical things that you can do to create attachment to the child. Likewise, I will tell you, there's some very practical things that you can do to create attachment within your team. And so I want to talk to you for a few minutes. The church's responsibility in creating attachment. Let me just give you a few things real quick. Number one, create clarity. Create clarity. Be honest with your team and be honest early. Be honest with your team and be honest early. I love what Jenny said when she said, listen, don't go in and promise them the moon on the front end. Just be honest with them on the front end. Create clarity. Here's who we are. Here's what we're about. They're not expecting perfection. They're just expecting clarity. That's it. If we have a weakness, we just want to know what it is. If we have needs, we just want to know what it is. Just be honest and be honest early. Number two, create expectations that support your mission. Create expectations that support your mission. When they come in on the front end, create expectations. Number three, create boundaries. Boundaries are important. Every healthy staff, every healthy team, every healthy child needs good boundaries to be able to operate with them. 
create the boundaries. And number four, create relationship. Listen, if, if you are a senior level person in this room, let me, let me just say this to you. You have to define what the relationship will look like. One of the challenges that, that we see, that I hear about, is the challenge between the relationship of the senior leader and the staff. And simply, it is the relationship challenge. It is not the leadership challenge. It's the relationship challenge. Oftentimes, the young person wants more time and attention than they feel like they can get. The senior leader says, why don't they just leave me alone and quit bugging me? I mean, literally, they want to do everything with me. Listen, I will say this politely to me as a young guy and to the senior level. You better establish what the relationship looks like or they will spend their time with you trying to establish it for you. They're going to continue to seek it. They're going to continue to interrupt you. They're going to continue to show up at the wrong time. They're going to continue to say things the wrong way at the wrong place. And it's going to continue to create friction. So on the very front end, you establish what that relationship will be. You see, in parenting, it's exactly the same way. I made a decision that Zeke is my son, not my friend. I've established what this relationship is going to look like. And so you establish what that relationship is going to be. And at least it gives them the option of whether or not they want that relationship. And if they don't, it's better they leave early than later. It's just the truth. So you establish that on the front end. Don't let it be organic. Make a decision that this is the way it's going to be. I remember um, early when I first got here, I made a decision. Um, I came from Pastor Scott Wilson's church and um, came to intern. And here's what Pastor Scott told me. He said, do everything you can to be around Pastor Gerald whenever you can. And I took that serious. You see, Pastor Brooks will do things um, to create the relationship that we just talked about with our young people. Periodically, he'll take them out to breakfast and they'll dissect leadership thoughts together. Um, Periodically, he'll pull them on the car and they go to lunch together um, and do different things. But he creates opportunities to, to, to create this relationship, but he does it in a way that fits his schedule. He does it in a way that fits his schedule. And, uh, and so one of the things that he's always done is taking people to lunch. Well, here's what I learned. I learned that if there was young people in his car going to lunch, that that was an opportunity to be close to him. So there was one time we're out front. He had pulled up his vehicle. There was several people sitting in the car, and I was in the very back in the middle like this. And he said, I didn't invite you. And I just smiled and nodded and said, okay. And so you know what I did? I went to lunch because I wanted to be close. Not because, I, I, not because I needed the relationship, but because I knew I needed to learn. And if I could put myself in proximity, there were things that I could learn. There was things that I could begin to understand. And so you work hard at building, if you're young, build your relationship within their schedule, their time frame, and their limits. Don't push the envelope. Employee's responsibility, if you're on staff. Learn the culture of this church. Extremely important. I want to give you another picture of Zeke. This is why we were still in the Congo. You see, Zeke came with a couple of things. He came with an apple and he came with a pair of shoes. Do we have that, we have that photo up there? I want you to see those pumas that he's got on there. Those were his shoes. He came with an apple and he came with a pair of shoes. He wasn't taking the shoes off and he wasn't putting the apple down. We finally convinced him to put the apple down. Uh, but he wouldn't take his shoes off. So when it was time to get him ready for bed, that's what we got. He was rocking the onesie hard, and uh, he had his shoes on, and he was, he was smooth as all get out. 
And, uh, and we just thought it was hilarious because he wouldn't take his shoes off because those were his shoes. Can I tell you, staff members, when you fail to learn the culture of this church, you think you're something, but you look kind of like that. Yeah. There's people who think you're cute. There's people who think you're out of place. But there's nobody following your trend. It doesn't matter how cool your shoes were at the last church. It doesn't matter how cool your shoes were when you first bought them. It doesn't matter how cool it was in that place. What that culture is, is fantastic, but you're a part of this family now, and you need to learn the culture of this church. You've got to learn about this. It's not, oh, well, at this church we did that, and at this church we did this. Can I tell you something? If you want the attachment to grow, you have to foster the relationship with this child, with this thing that God has birthed, with this vision that God has created. It has to be something that is fostered here. Learn the culture of this church. The second thing is enhance the church's vision, not your agenda. Learn all aspects of the church. Learn all aspects of the church. It doesn't matter if your job is one thing. You learn all aspects of the church. You're not there to promote your agenda. You're there to promote the vision of the church. Number three, lead up, not just down. Let me tell you how it comes across when somebody comes on a church staff and they try to take the approach that I'm here just to build this church. And that's their agenda. They're, they're willing to lead down and they're not willing to lead up. Here's how this comes across. Whether it's intended or not, and I think most times it's not even attended. The, the, the perspective that is given is, I'm looking to borrow your platform, but I'm not looking to be faithful to this position. You have to be careful when you go into the church, your first job is to lead up. That's the first, really your first job is to lead yourself. Then it's to lead up, and then it's to lead down. You have to learn how to lead up. You see, high performance and low maintenance will get you a job at a church in a second. If you're willing to come in and to perform well and to be low maintenance, low demands, low requests, I'm just here to serve. Can I tell you, every great leader, every great leader is a servant. There are servants that are not leaders, but every great leader is a servant. And so you come with the approach that I'm here to help, I'm here to serve, I'm here to give. Trust God and serve your pastor. Get away from the platform and get away from the position. Pastors, here's what I'll tell you. If the platform is the biggest thing in your church, don't be surprised that that's the biggest thing in the eyes of your staff. You have to be able to build your staff around something other than the significance of the platform. That happens through prayer. It happens through casting vision. It happens when you spend time to them and you teach them. Lead up, not just down. Pursue substance over style. Pursue substance over style. Can I tell you, in the last 16 years, I can't tell you that Pastor Brooks and I have agreed on everything, but here's what I can tell you we've always agreed on, where we're going. 
and we've made a decision that we're going there together. He may get there by taking a right turn and a left. I may get there by going down one more street, taking a right turn and a right, but can I tell you something? We're going to the same place. We agree on the substance of everything. So you make a decision of what's truly important and you learn to agree on that. The way you do that is very simple. You pray it in you. You have to pray it in you. Here's what happens. Staffs are really good. They're really good at praying for their sermon. They're really good at praying for their next opportunity. They're really good at praying that they're going to grow and that they're going to lead. Friends, can I tell you, you need to be good at praying for the church as a whole and the vision that God has birthed. It's not just about your thing, it's about the thing. You've got to pray for all, for all of it. It's the whole package. It's all or nothing. Paul told Timothy, I exhort you, first of all, that supplication, prayers, and intercession, supplication, prayers, and intercession, you lead first and foremost with your prayers. One of the amazing things that happened, there's another picture I want to show you uh, of Zeke up here. One of the amazing things that happened is that Zeke, Zeke attached to us within the first 48 hours. Within the first 48 hours, he was attached to us. And can I just tell you, that's unheard of. It's unheard of. It doesn't usually happen that fast in the setting that we were in. We were confused. We were going, is this what attachment really looks like? Is this what it really feels like? When, when I set him down, he wants to come back to me. When somebody else is holding him, he's reaching out for me. Is this really, this, it couldn't have happened this fast. Can I tell you, there's one reason that it happened that fast is because we have bathed it in prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer. prayer. Quit asking your pastor for stuff. Quit asking your your pastor and telling him what we need and what we don't need and start asking God. Your faith is required to build the local church, not just the pastor's. You need to pray for all of it, not just some of it and not just your part of it. It has to happen in prayer. Number two, practice it. What they will tell you is when you adopt a child, when you adopt a child and they come into your home, it doesn't matter if that child's 11 years old, emotionally in terms of what we're talking about today, they're one day old. They're one day old. Zeke was 16 months old when we got him. He would eat chicken straight off of a bone. It was the most impressive thing you've ever seen him clean uh, a chicken leg like you, he eats steak. It's amazing. Um, and, but he would clean it right off his bone. Can I tell you this? We still took the time, just like a baby, and said, son, let me feed you. He could eat with a fork and a spoon. He could do it just fine. It wasn't the point. I was trying to build attachment with him. He was 16 months old, and I would rock him like he was an infant that just came out of the womb. And if he was 11 years old, you know what they would tell me? You need to start like they're one day old. You need to go all the way back to the beginning, and you need to work at building attachment. Still to this day, Zeke will come to me and say, dad, will you just hold me? And what that means is we're going to sit on the couch and I'm just going to rock him because he needs to feel that affirmation and that security with something that we have to practice. It isn't something you do one time and then that's it. It's something you practice. It's something you're strategic about. It's something that you develop. You see, as I mentioned before, having experience is not the same thing as having experience here. It's not the same thing as having experience here. To be honest, all the gifts and talents that you have mean nothing if your heart isn't attached to the organization. We have all seen extremely talented people play in the NFL and they didn't work out. And here's what everybody said. They were in the wrong system. They were just in the wrong system. Can I tell you in the church world, 
I don't think we're in the wrong system. I think our heart just might be in the wrong place. It's, it's, a, it's a question between us and God. If God has called you and God has gifted you, then God will help you fulfill that call if you're faithful. It's not the job of the church to fill, fulfill your call. You don't adopt for the sake of anything else other than the child. It's not their responsibility. It's our responsibility. You see, organizational practices are great, but I will tell you that developmental practices are better. Developmental practices are better. Staff, you need to learn how your pastor thinks, not just what he wants you to do, not just what she wants you to do. Pastors, you need to teach your staff how you think, not just what you want them to do. You see, development practices are absolutely critical. Can I tell you, if you don't ever teach your staff how to think, all problems will eventually come back to you. Because they will not be equipped to effectively solve those problems in a way that, that honors your church, your position, or how you would handle it. You have to teach them how to think. You have to practice it in such a way that develops them to be great leaders and not just great doers. If you don't learn how they think, you're missing the point of being there altogether. And I tell you, I was, I was talking with Bishop Smith last night, and I said, you know, one of, the, one of the things that I'll do is I like to sit in the front row because I'm not just listening to what Pastor Brooks says. What he says, there's a good chance about 70% of it I've heard. That's not the point. I'm listening to why he says it, how he says it. Why did he change this? Why did he change that? Why did this mannerism come out? I've never seen him do that before. What's happening in the room that's different than what was happening in the room the last time I heard him teach? You see, if you want to come to, if you want to adopt, listen, can I tell you this? I'm not just looking for my kid to go to school, make his bed, and go to sleep. There's more to the relationship than that. And so you have to practice it in a way that develops you into being a good leader. Pastors, you have to practice it in a way that helps them to become good leaders. And then I will tell you, invest into it yourself. This is specifically for staffs. The Bible teaches us very clearly that you reap what you sow. And you reap where you sow. Can I tell you one of the problems that we have? We have a lot of great churches in this room. Fantastic churches in this room. And there's a lot of frustration going, why isn't my staff doing more? Why have they become complacent? How come I can't get them to the next level? And, and I, just an observation from me, so this is just for me. Can I tell you that one of the reasons I believe that the staffs grow stagnant is because they get used to reaping where someone else has sown. They don't feel like they have to put in the work to reap the reward. Because they walk into a place where somebody has dug and planted and dug and planted and dug and planted, and then they come in and say, hey, I need you to be our youth pastor. And they show up and there's magically 60 people in the room and they think they're God's greatest gift to the church. If it wasn't for them, these 60 kids wouldn't be here. Can I tell you this? It has nothing to do with them. They're stewarding what somebody else planted. And so staff, you have to learn how to invest into it yourself. It cannot be that every time there's a need, it's the responsibility of your pastor to fulfill that need. Can I tell you, it's God that makes the church grow. So quit going to him and start getting on your knees before God. If you see something that needs to happen, use your faith to make it happen. If you, need, if you see something that needs to happen, use your abilities and your skills to make it happen. Do what God, invest into it yourself. 
Invest in such a way that one day somebody's going to be reaping the reward of your labor. We get comfortable with this idea that everything is just working. And then know what happens? An expectation is created. Well, if it's not working, there must be something wrong with the church. Well, if this isn't happening, it's because this, 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 and this. No, it's not happening because when you showed up, there was a harvest, but you quit planting. So you've got to start planting. You have to invest into it yourself. Simply where you see these results, you should see your leadership success in the leaders that you develop. Very plainly, if I want to see if somebody on my staff has adopted the vision, I look to the leaders they've developed. When they're on board, they get other people on board. It's just the way it works. Thank you for listening to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast. If you'd like more information on Dr. Brooks's books, audio, or speaking engagements, please go to geraldbrooksministries.com.